Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is WebYeshiva.org, and it's time to begin our regular shear in Halacha. Uh, we're talking about head covering, and in, our, in the previous sessions in this series, we spoke about women covering their head, married women covering their head. Now we're going to change the focus uh, to men uh, covering their head. Uh, let's uh, see the sources. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to begin with the Talmudic passages, which is the, uh, the the same place we began with the women's head covering. And as with women's head covering, so we will we will proceed chronologically, and uh, and see uh, eventually come to the contemporary poskim, what the contemporary rabbis have to say about the issue. But let's begin. The uh, 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 the key passage, the, the, the source out of which the entire issue uh, de develops is a passage in Gemara Kiddushin. Let's look at what the Gemara says, and then we'll see what the commentaries on the Gemara have to say. It says in the Gemara, uh, Amar uh, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, Asur la'adam, it is prohibited for a person, and notice that the word is adam, of a person, man or woman, asur adam, it is prohibited for a person, shiahalech, to walk arba amot, a distance of four amot, a distance of four cubits. Uh, one cubit is from the, the elbow uh, to the top of the, the fingers, from the elbow to the top of the fingers, that's one cubit. Um, of course, as, as in English, when we speak about uh, a certain distance in feet. We don't mean your foot, we don't mean my foot. It, a foot is a standard measure in English. Similarly, uh, in rabbinic Hebrew, when we speak about four cubits, we're not talking about the length of my arm or the length of your arm. It's a standard standard, uh, standard unit around 18 centimeters. You know, rabbis disagree about exactly what that standard is, but you're not allowed to walk a distance of four cubits bekoma zakufa with an erect posture. Koma's kufa, an erect posture. You're not allowed to walk uh, erectly for a distance of four cubits or more. Why not? Shina'amah, because it says in the Torah, there's a biblical verse, Malay kol ha'aretz kvodo. The whole world is full of his honor. The whole world is full of the glory of God. And therefore, one should walk modestly. And walking modestly means uh, not entirely erect, but uh, bent over a little bit. Rashi explains the Gemara as follows. Mashma, the Gemara implies, Mishtarbev yared lamata, the Gemara implies that the divine presence is coming down from the heavens. Vehazokev komato, and someone who walks with an erect posture, it looks like he's pushing against the divine presence. That's why it is considered prideful to walk with an erect posture, and that's why it's prohibited. You're wondering what all this has to do with head covering. Um, uh, in a moment, we'll see. The Gemara continues and says, Rav Huna, Breder of Yoshua, Rav Huna, the son of Rav Yoshua, we just learned what, what Rav Yoshua had to say. He's not allowed to walk erect. His son, Lo Maske, did not walk Arba Amot, a distance of four cubits, Begilui Rosh, with his head uncovered. So you have a father and a son in the Gemara. The father said, we don't walk, it's, the father said it's prohibited to walk a distance of four cubits or more in, with an erect posture because of a verse in the Torah. The son did not walk that distance four cubits without, uh, without a, a head covering. He did not walk with uncovered head. Why not? Amar, he said, the divine presence is over my head and therefore I cover my head. Now, you'll notice uh, one big difference between the formulation in the statement of the father and the formulation in the statement of the son. The father said, it is prohibited 
to walk erect. The son never actually said that. The Gemara simply reports the practice of the son. The practice of the son was to walk around with his head covered, assuming he was going a distance in excess of four cubits. Well, maybe exactly four cubits. If you would walk exactly four cubits, apparently he would cover his head also. Four cubits or more. The um, uh, different formulations. The father formulated a prohibition to walk erect. The son uh, is reported by the Gemara to have always covered his head when going this distance. That is the passage of the Gemara. Now let us see what the poskim make of this. Um, uh, uh, first, we're going to turn to the tour. The tour was written by Rav Yaakov, the son of the Rosh. The Rosh was the last of the great Baalei Tosafot. Everyone knows that the Tosafot were the great Ashkenaz commentators. They, they were in France. The great, the great French commentators on the Gemara in the Middle Ages were the Tosafot. Everyone knows that. The last of the great rabbis of that Beit Midrash in France was the Roche at the end of the Middle Ages. He got a job working in Spain as a, as a Rav. He went with his family to, to Spain. Uh, his son, Rabbi Yaakov, I think he was uh, like nine, ten years old when the family moved from uh, France to Spain. And the son grew up in Spain, combining Ashkenaz traditions, which he learned from his father, and Sephardic traditions, which he learned from the rabbis in Spain. And the son wrote the tour. The tour is the predecessor of the Shulchan Aruch. We're going to come to the Shulchan Aruch. And the Shulchan Aruch follows the order and the structure of the tour. The tour is the is the predecessor of the Shulchan Aruch, terribly important halachic work, representing the culmination of halachic thinking uh, in the Middle Ages. It's right at the end of the Middle Ages. Let's see what the tour has to say about all of this. Yakum, you arise. You wake up in the morning. You know, you, you, it's time to get out of bed. You woke up in the morning. Yelech. You walk, you get out of bed and you walk coma with a bent over posture. You get up in the morning and now you walk with a bent over posture, kid de isa, like it says in the Gemara, and he just quotes the Gemara we saw on the previous page. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, it is prohibited to walk with an erect posture, as it says in the Torah, the whole earth is full of God's glory. Okay, well, well, uh, he's he's reversed the uh, the formulation. What uh, what Rabbi Yoshua said in the Gemara is it's prohibited to walk erect. The tour formulates it the other way around, and he says you have to walk uh, bent over. You have to walk uh, bent over rather than saying it's prohibited to walk erect. He says you have to walk uh, bent over. I really don't see much of a difference. Don't see much of a difference between them. Then the tour continues. Cover your head. And remember that, uh, as with all the works in rabbinic literature, the Torah was written by a man aimed at a male audience. So, of course, of course he's, he's talking to the men. I mean, that, that's what all rabbinic literature is. If, if, if the rabbis want to address themselves to the women, they'll, they'll say so explicitly. Otherwise, of course, of course, it's men talking to men. You know, it means the whole world. The whole world, not only Eretz Yisrael. The um, uh, the uh, uh, so you cover your head. Nami like it says also there in the Gemara, and he quotes the second half of the Gemara, which we saw on the previous screen. Rabbi Huna, the son of Rabbi Yoshua, did not walk uh, four cubits with his head uncovered. He said, uh, "The divine presence is above my head." Okay, now, now, now the, uh, the, the first important thing to notice is that the tour embraces the Talmudic passage as being halachically mandatory. You know, there's plenty of stuff in the Gemara which the poskim do not embrace. After all, just because you find a certain statement somewhere in the Gemara does not mean that that's the definitive halacha. Maybe there are other opinions elsewhere in the Gemara uh, 
uh, uh, well, the, the, the first important thing to notice is that this particular passage containing two parts to it, uh, prohibition on erect posture and the walking with covered head, this particular passage is indeed embraced by the tour. And we're going to see that, of course, all the posts can embrace it. Uh, it's really not controversial. And now, what I want to do at this point is turn to the Bach. Uh, the Bach, where is he? Here he is. Uh, the Bach, that's Rashi uh, Tevot for Bayat Hadash. Let's get that typed on chat. Uh, if you tell someone that you learned uh, the, the Bayat Hadash, they won't know what you're talking about in the yeshiva world. Everyone just calls them the Bach. You know, like people know that Bach means Bayat Hadash, but uh, but everyone just calls him calls it the Bach. The author was Rav Yoel Sirkis. Rav Yoel Sirkis was uh, one of the great rabbis of Lithuania, 17th century Lithuania. And he wrote this commentary on the tour, commentary on the text we saw on the previous screen. Now, there's a little bit of a historical background uh, to this uh, to this book we're about to read, and uh, it's uh, important to keep in mind the historical background. Uh, the, the Rav Yosef Karo, who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, before Rav Yosef Karo wrote the Shulchan Aruch, he wrote an encyclopedic commentary on the tour, uh, point by point. Uh, it, throughout the tour, analyzing the sources and the reasons and the arguments and, 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 and an encyclopedic uh, discussion of every point in the tour. That was the Beit Yosef. In, in the fullness of time, after having composed the Beit Yosef, he distilled the Beit Yosef uh, uh, and wrote another book with just the bottom line conclusions from all of the sources and the discussions and the arguments in the Beit Yosef, and that's the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch is just do this, don't do that, don't do this, do that, just the bottom line conclusions from all the sources and discussions and arguments in the Beit Yosef. So the Beit Yosef was, was an encyclopedic commentary uh, on, on the tour, and then, based on that, he gave us the Shulchan Aruch, and everyone knows how important the Shulchan Aruch is. Now, when the Shulchan Aruch was first published, we're talking about the early 16th century. Uh, when the Shulchan Aruch was first published, uh, there was a storm of controversy about it. You know, like nowadays in the in the Orthodox world, everyone reveres uh, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch. But when it was first published, it was a highly controversial work. The reason it was so controversial when it was first published, and the Bach that we are about to look at was one of the leaders of the opposition against the Shulchan Aruch. And the, the principal reason he and many other rabbis were very unhappy with the Shulchan Aruch is because they held that it is wrong, wrong, wrong to just give bottom line conclusions of halacha, do this, don't do that. It's wrong to, 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 to publish these opinions without the sources and the reasons. Because if you just give the bottom line conclusion without the sources and without the reasons, then inevitably someone somewhere is going to misunderstand what it is you mean and they're going to end up doing the wrong thing because they misunderstood the whole point. If you give the sources and the reasons and the conclusion, then they will understand exactly what you mean by the conclusion, and that's the way a safer should be published without, uh, with the reasons and with the, the, the arguments, uh, uh, with the sources, not just the bottom line conclusions. Well, well, uh, uh, the Bach was so unhappy with the Shulchan Aruch that he wrote his own commentary uh, on the tour, and that's what we're about to look at. Here goes. He, of course, quotes the tour phrase by phrase, and then gives his commentary. So the, the phrase he's commenting on here is uh, what the tour said, Yechasarosho. Remember the tour said, you get up and uh, you walk in, in a non-erect way, and then, uh, you, uh, you, uh, and then you cover your head. 
Now, as far as this head covering is concerned, the Bach wrote as follows. Ikla medak. We must, we must be precise. We must be exquisitely careful in understanding the meaning of the tour. Mi'ikara havale lameimad yechase rosho. There's something fundamentally wrong with the order of presentation in the tour. The tour said on the previous screen, you get up in the morning, you walk in a non-erect posture, and you cover your head. There's something not right with the order of presentation. According to the order of presentation in the tour, the tour first has you walking bent over, and then talks about covering the head. It should have been the other way around. The tour should have first spoken about covering the head, and then walking. You should cover your head before you start walking. Well, why did the well, why did the tour reverse the order? Now, of course, the tour here is just following the order of the Gemara, but the the, the Gemara has a, a specific reason why the Gemara is ordered the way it is. The Gemara gives first the statement of the father and then the statement about the son. So, of course, uh, we understand why the, the, the Gemara was organized the way it was. First the father and then the son. First the statement about the prohibition of erect posture and then the statement about the son always covering his head. The, the order of things in the Gemara makes perfect sense because first you have the father's opinion, then you have the report of the son's behavior. But the, the, the tour, uh, the tour is a, is a halacha book. It's not a, the tour is not a halachic presentation of what the different generations of rabbis said and did. Uh, the tour is uh, telling us what to do and what not to do. And uh, the tour should have first said, cover the head and then walk in a non-erect way. Why did the, why did the tour reverse the order? First, he has you walking, and only afterwards does he say you should uh, 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 cover your head. Should have been the other way around. First, covering the head and then walking. Well, um, well, uh, it's another problem in the tour. If you remember the original passage in the Gemara, had two statements. First statement was about the prohibition of walking four cubits with an erect posture. The second statement was uh, about the son walking four cubits with his uh, head head covered. Uh, now, both statements in the Gemara have a certain distance to them, namely four cubits. Uh, if you're sitting in one place or walking less than four cubits, no objection to an erect posture. If you're sitting and standing in one place or walking less than, than four cubits, no objection to, uh, to, uh, to uncovering head. Four cubits is the distance at which these concepts click into place, according to the Gemara. But, but, but uh, the tour, let us be precise. Let us be exquisitely careful when we read what the tour said. Bahahid Reb Yoshua ben Levi. In the first statement of the father, Asur Lahalech Bekomas Kufa, in the first statement of the father, the tour dropped the phrases, dropped the words Arba Amot. The words Arba Amot, four cubits, are dropped in the text of the tour. Uh, uh, well, Rabbeinu Hishmita. Uh, the rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov, who wrote the tour, dropped those two words from the statement of the father. He wrote simply that it's prohibited to walk erectly. Let's take another quick look at the previous screen. I can't show you uh, where he doesn't say what he doesn't say, but you will notice that as far as the son's practice is concerned, the four cubits are indeed mentioned. The four cubits are indeed mentioned by the son's practice, and they're just not there uh, when the uh, when he speaks about 
uh, the prohibition of erect posture. So it, it turns out that the prohibition of erect posture has been made stricter than the original Talmudic text. Apparently, not allowed to walk with erect posture any distance, even less than four cubits. But uh, the four cubit rule is still in place as far as the son's uh, statement is concerned, the son's practice is concerned. Well, why not be consistent, the Bach asks. Why not be consistent? There must be some reason why he changed the formulation of the father and left the formulation of the son the same. So we have so far two problems in understanding the tour. Problem number one is the order of presentation. Problem number two is uh, why did he drop the distance requirement in the first statement and keep it in the second statement? Now he has to explain why Latour presented the material the way he did. Nira, it would seem, and, and you know the rabbis always always speak in a very modest way, it would seem that the following is the explanation. Well, you know, no one told him he had to publish this book, and the very fact that he chose to publish it means that this is firmly and definitively his opinion. He just expresses himself modestly. It would seem, the Rabbeinu, it would seem that the rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov, who wrote the tour, Svirale, it would seem that he thinks, Divakomus Kufa, that as far as erect posture is concerned, walking with an erect posture is an absolute prohibition. That, after all, is what the Gemara said. It is prohibited to walk in with an erect posture. Yeah. The, uh, uh, and since there's an absolute prohibition to walk with an erect posture four cubits or more. Nachon, it's therefore correct. Lahachmir, it's therefore correct to be a little bit stricter. Vla'esor, achpapachos medaladamos. It's quite strict, quite correct to be strict and not even to walk less than four cubits with an erect posture. Uh, the whole earth is full of the glory of God. After all, you don't want to run the risk of coming to the fourth cubit and going over the limit with an erect posture. So as far as erect posture is concerned, which is a true prohibition, it makes sense not to walk with an erect posture at any distance, so as not to come close to the true prohibition. Incidentally, I should, I should probably, uh, for the sake of completeness, you know, we're, we're not talking, our subject tonight is not erect postures. If it were, we would dwell a lot on, on exactly what that means. Uh, let, let me just mention in passing that the definition of erect posture, which is prohibited by the Gemara and the Tour, the definition is walking in a way that your eyes are, are looking upward, your eyes are looking upward, and you cannot see people who are walking towards you. Uh, as one would say in English, walking with your nose in the air. If you walk with your nose in the air, you can't even see people who are walking towards you. That is the erect posture which is prohibited. That is the person who is haughty. That is the person who is prideful. He doesn't even care uh, about people walking towards him. But let them get out of the way. I don't, uh, I don't have to relate to other people. I'm too prideful for that. That's the erect posture which is, uh, which is prohibited here. So uh, we're not going to dwell on erect posture. We're going to focus on the, on the head covering part of the statement. Once again, as far as erect posture is concerned, that's a true prohibition. That's exactly the word the Gemara used, asur. It is prohibited to walk with an erect posture. And therefore, uh, the distance, uh, the distance uh, uh, really doesn't matter a whole lot. One should be strict and not walk any distance uh, with an erect posture. Aval, on the other hand, on the other hand, walking with head uncovered, there's absolutely no prohibition for men to go with uncovered heads. There is no prohibition for men to go to walk with uncovered heads. Uh, Kitamashma, which is clearly implied 
by the text of the Gemara, which we saw, Mitakama Ravhuna, what did Ravhuna the son say? The son never actually said anything. All the Gemara did was it reported the practice of the son. Lo Ozel Arba Amos Rosh. The son always covered his head when he walked a distance of four cubits or more. Alma, it seems, the Acherini Lokom is Dacharei It would seem that other rabbis did not care about this head covering. It would seem that Rav Huna was the rabbi who covered his head when he walked four cubits or more. Other rabbis apparently didn't. This was the practice of one rabbi in the Gemara. So there's a big difference between the statement regarding erect posture and the statement regarding head covering. The statement regarding erect posture has to do with a prohibition. The statement regarding head covering is merely the report of the practice of one rabbi in the Gemara, implying that other rabbis back in those days did not conform to this practice. Other rabbis back in those days walked around with their heads uncovered. Well, uh, now we've reached a very dramatic conclusion at this point. Now we have a fairly clear, straightforward argument, I think quite a convincing argument, that according to the tour, the Gemara never, ever meant to imply anything about an obligation for men to cover their heads. The Gemara never, ever intended to imply anything about a, a prohibition uh, of uh, uncovering the head or an obligation to cover the head. All the Gemara did was to report the practice of a single great rabbi. Very different from the Gemara's discussion of erect posture, which is a true prohibition. Well, uh, this this, uh, conclusion is uh, so far-reaching and uh, has such vast implications that it cannot be allowed to stand by itself. Uh, It needs some proof. It needs some proof. As, As straightforward and as convincing as the argument is, if we could have a little bit more proof, then I'd be more secure with this conclusion. And indeed, the Bach continues with another proof that this whole approach is correct. What is this approach? This approach is there's no such thing as an obligation to cover the head for men. There's no such thing as a prohibition to go with uncovered head for the men. Uh, Well, uh, why? Uh, 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 you ask on chat, why did the Gemara and then the tour bother to tell us about the practice of Rav Huna if it's not normative halacha? That's a good question. That's a good question. The answer is, well, uh, since the great Rav Huna did it, since the great Rav Huna was very careful to cover his head, because of his sense of the divine presence, anyone who does that is commendable. That's a, a good practice. Tzaddikim can do that. If, if, if men who cover their head, I, I won't say that a man who covers his head is silly for doing so. I will not mock him. After all, the great Rav Huna did it. And if the great Rav Huna did it, and we know why he did it, he explained why he did it because of his sense of the divine presence. Well, anyone, any man who has a sense of the divine presence and walks around with his head covered, that's not silly. Uh, I will not mock that. That's that. I'll smile on that practice. But there's a difference between smiling on a practice and uh, saying it's obligatory. Someone who fails to conform with this practice is guilty of nothing and has nothing to repent for. One can be a perfect tzaddik, uh, fulfilling all of the commandments of the Torah, without covering the head. Covering the head is an additional act of piety above and beyond what what halacha requires. Here comes comes the proof 
uh, an additional proof uh, uh, in the words of the Bach. There's a passage in the Gemara in Kol Kisve in Shabbos which implies exactly what I have concluded. The following passage in the Gemara implies that there's no such thing as an obligation for men to cover their head. No such thing as an obligation, no such thing as a prohibition for men to uncover their head. What's it say in, in, in Shabbos, in Tractate Shabbos? Komar Rav Huna, a braider of Yoshua. Rav Huna, the same Rav Huna, Rav Huna who walked around with his head covered. The son said in Shabbos, in a different tractate, Tesi li delo magidnat arba amas begili rosh. May I merit that I never walk four cubits or more with uncovered head. May I have the great merit. Those were his words in Shabbos. Now, now that statement in Shabbos, may I merit that I never walk four cubits or more with uncovered head, that statement is part of a long list of statements on the same page in the Gemara, may I merit this, may I merit that, a whole list of, of rabbis saying, expressing their wishes, may I merit this, may I merit that. And call Tesili, Every other example of may I merit this, may I merit that, on that page in the Gemara, the Hossam there, and that page in the Gemara, every other example, Kuhu, all of them, Midas Chasidus Minhu, all of them represent acts of piety above and beyond uh, the requirements of Halacha. What about making brachot? We're going to come to making brachot. Eventually, not right away, but we will come to it. Well, um, since there is no source requiring men to cover their head, since there is no source prohibiting men from walking with uncovered head, as is clearly implied in the words of Rav Huna himself, who said, may I merit, and that's part of all, a long list of may I merit this, may I merit that, none of which is halakhically obligatory. It turns out that head covering for men is midas chasidus, midat chasidut, an act of piety, midat chasidut, an act of piety, how do I do this? Here it goes. Oh, an act of piety, above and beyond what halacha requires it. Above and beyond what halacha requires. Men who do it are pious. That's chasid, they're chasidim. That's good. That's commendable. That's praiseworthy. We smile on that. But there's some distance between piety, praiseworthiness, commendability on the one hand, and required on the other. Hilkach, therefore, lo hechmir ba rabbeinu aflamidus chasidus tfei b'mashechmiru ba amoreim. Therefore, since there's no possibility of violating any halacha here, unlike erect posture, where if you walk that far, you're you're guilty, you're guilty of, of violating a halacha, walking walking pridefully in in, in public. Since there's never going to be any violation of halacha here. It makes no sense to be stricter than the precise text of the Gemara. V'lachein hishmit arba amas etzel gilui rosh. Well, uh, at, uh, as far as uh, 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 uncovering the head is concerned, it's only a matter of piety, above and beyond what halacha requires. Even if you walk four cubits, five cubits, any distance, you're not going to be guilty of anything. Well, there's no reason to be strict, unlike erect posture. Walking any distance with head uncovered is fine. Not the most uh, pious behavior, but the, there's nothing wrong with it. Walking with head covered is nothing more than midat, oh boy, nothing other than midat Chasidut, nothing other than an act of piety. Midat chasidut greda, a simple act of piety. Okay, now, 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 what we've seen so far 
is a Gemara, a formulation of the bottom line conclusions in the tour, an analysis of the Bach, which leads to the, which leads straight to the conclusion that there's no obligation for men to cover their uh, their heads. Well, that's uh, that, that that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, we have uh, uh, we have the implications of the tour, the understanding of the Bach. Uh, what we begin to wonder is is this approach to understanding men's covering of the head? Is this approach a maverick approach, an unusual approach of the the rabbis we've quoted so far, or is this a generally accepted approach? Is this an approach which is generally embraced by the mainstream rabbis? Correct. Well, let's start surveying other great rabbis and see whether or not this approach is embraced by them, or is this an approach which is a maverick approach, uh, uh, an outlier, the approach of the of the Bach? Uh, how, how well accepted is this approach? Let's 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 proceed and see. We begin with the Rambam. Now, now it's hard to point to a more influential authority in the Middle Ages. Yeah, as far as the Shulchan Aruch is concerned, the Shulchan Aruch, I never did a precise count, but I would estimate that around 80, 85% of the Shulchan Aruch consists of just direct quotations from the Rambam. You know, that's, uh, if you're talking about the, in, in the weight of influence, that's a lot of influence that the, that the, that the Rambam had. Around 80, 85% of the Shulchan Aruch is simply quoted from the, from the Rambam directly. Let's see what the Rambam says about men covering their heads. Tzniut vidola. Great, great modesty, a high level of modesty. Nohagim Talmudei Chachamim ba'atzman. Talmudei Chachamim, rabbinic scholars behave very modestly. Uh, anyone who is a rabbinic scholar must behave well everyone has to be everyone has to be modest but but Talmudei Chachamim rabbinic scholars must be very modest uh, great modesty is required of Talmudei uh, Chachamim and indeed in, in the chapter we're quoting from uh, he has a lot of requirements for Talmudei Chachamim for rabbinic scholars uh, uh, rabbinic scholars must always be careful that their clothing is clean if you're a rabbinic scholar, you should not appear with clothing that is soiled. The, 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 the list of requirements for how, how, how Talmudei Chachamim must behave in a modest and dignified way is a fairly long list in the Rambam. Talmudei Chachamim, rabbinic scholars, are required to be very modest above and beyond the level of modesty that ordinary civilians have. Lo bazuk. They're not allowed to do anything which is degrading. They're not allowed to do anything which will, uh, 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 which will, which will, which people will consider dishonorable. You know, you know, like what people consider honorable and dishonorable varies from place to place and time to time. But but whatever in that society is considered a bizayon, whatever in that society is considered a disreputable behavior, undignified behavior, we're not allowed to do it. Uh, for example, uh, for example, uh, many of the rabbis uh, throughout in many generations in many places uh, uh, say explicitly, Talmidei Chachamim, rabbinic scholars are not allowed to work for a living. They're not allowed to be carpenters. They're not allowed uh, to be brick masons. They're not allowed to work for a living because, well, uh, well, uh, in those societies, in those times, of course, the dignified people never even handled money, much less work for it. The only, the only dignified way uh, to to have a livelihood was to inherit it. The, uh, that, that was true, and well, probably still is true in many societies. Well, rabbis, rabbinic scholars, are not allowed to do anything 
which is disreputable in according to the requirements of two 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 covers. We're going to come to two covers eventually. Yes. Yeah, of course, Ezra speaks about clean clothing, but he speaks about, when, when Ezra speaks about clean clothing, he's speaking about uh, the, the soil of the clothing is just representative of sins. That's all he, Ezra, Ezra uses it metaphorically. So in any event, Talmudai Chachamim, unlike ordinary citizens, are not allowed to do anything in public which the people will consider disreputable. Lo yigalu roshan. Talmudai Chachamim. Rabbinic scholars will not uncover their heads, the logufan, nor any of their body. Rabbinic scholars will be dressed from neck to ankle with all of their body covered. Uh, rabbinic scholars will surely not uncover their head, nor will they expose any part of their body. Long sleeves and only long sleeves, they have to be entirely covered all the time. Well, well of course, uh, of course, this too might vary from, from society to society, but uh, surely that's the way it was in Egypt back in the days of the Rambam. Even when the rabbinic scholar, even when the rabbi goes in to the toilet, you know, back in those days they didn't have uh, indoor plumbing. Back in those days, going to the toilet meant, meant the Beit HaKisei, a little house outside of the residence, what today would be called an outhouse. Uh, when, when, when the rabbi goes into the toilet, into the outhouse, you hate Sanur here. He must be very modest. The lo yigale begadav shall not uh, take off his clothes until he's actually ready to sit on the toilet. You know, even though no one sees him, he's the only one there. But still, rabbinic scholars have a special requirement of modesty above and beyond ordinary citizens. And one element of that requirement is they do not uncover their heads. Well, behold, you have just learned that according to Rambam, Ordinary civilians have no halachic obligation whatsoever to cover their heads. It's something which rabbis have to do because of rabbis' dignified position in the community. And rabbis are not allowed to behave in any way which will adversely affect their dignified position in the community. They have to be careful how they speak. They have to be careful how they dress and so forth and so on. Well, uh, um, uh, I can assure you that nowhere else in the Mishnah Torah does the Rambam address the question of head covering for men. The only place where he addresses it is in the passage which we have on the screen at the moment. And uh, it, it turns out to be simply, neither more nor less, an element of dignified dress for the rabbi. Turns out that uh, Rambam and Bach and Tour are all on the same page. There simply is no obligation for men to cover their heads. There simply is no prohibition for them to uncover their heads. That's a that's a big conclusion. Now you, you're wondering now, of course, why or why has it become so standard? Why or why has it become such a a standard symbol of Torah observance that the men wear a kippah. Where, where did all this come from? After all, uh, it's not from the Talmud, that's clear. It's not from the Torah, it's not from the Rambam, it's not from the Bach. Where, 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 where does this idea come from that Jewish men should walk around with their heads covered all the time? And uh, the answer to that begins with the Taz. Taz is a Rashi Tevot for Ture Zahav, Let's get that spelled on chat. Ture Zahav. But of course, if you tell people in the yeshiva world that you know the opinion of the Ture Zahav, they might not catch, they might not grasp what it is you're talking about. Everyone calls them the Taz. Well, it's not true that everyone calls them the Taz. In Hasidic circles, this book is not called the Taz. In Hasidic circles, this book is called the Tuz. 
<laughs> the tools. So if you're speaking with a, a Hasidic Jew, you can discuss the opinion of the tools. If you're speaking with a non-Hasidic person, you can discuss the opinion of the Taz. Uh, or if you want to try to stay neutral, I suppose you can say say the full name, Turi Zahav, and they'll probably figure out what it is you're talking about. 17th century, uh, 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 you, know, like, you know, whenever I say the names of the countries these people came from, uh, 17th century Germany, there was no country Germany in the 17th century. <laughs> he, he came from the place which later uh, was called the, the, the country of Germany, right? The... Uh, uh, you know, when I say that the Tosafot came from France, I mean, France wasn't the country in the Middle Ages. The, uh, in any event, you understand, uh, I'm, I'm just saying the names of the countries to point you to where we're, where, where the names we use on the map today. Let's see what the Taz says. The Taz is a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. It's one of the two great commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, and it's printed always on the inside margin of every standard edition of the Shulchan Aruch. So before we see his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, let's see what the Shulchan Aruch says. And then we'll see his commentary. So first the words of the Shulchan Aruch. The words of the Shulchan Aruch are as follows. Nachon, it is correct. Sheyichaser Rosho, it is correct that he cover his head bitalit, with a talus. It's correct that when a man puts on the talus, it's correct to cover the head uh, with the talus. Nachon, it's correct to do that. Now, of course, of course, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch knows how to say that you're, you're obligated to do this, you're obligated to do that. Shulchan Aruch knows perfectly well how to formulate obligations. This is not an obligation. This is nachon. It's correct to do that, uh, and uh, someone who wants good advice, that would be, yeah, that'd be good advice. Uh, that's commendable. That's praiseworthy. That's advisable. But but it, it, it's only nachon. It's correct, and there's some distance between that and obligatory. Shochanar has a, a a rich vocabulary of words for obligation. Uh, well, rabbinic literature in general has rich vocabulary for obligations. Chaya, muhrach, tzarich. I mean, the, 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 the semantic field of obligation is big in rabbinic Hebrew. Nachon, it is correct. That phrase is not part of the semantic field of obligation. So what, what, what's the Shogun Ruch say? Shogun Ruch says, well, the man puts on a talus. It's uh, correct to cover the head. Now, the words of the Taz. These are the comments of the Taz. Li nireh. It seems to me, and once again, the rabbi formulates his opinion in a very modest way. It seems to me, but again, no one told him he had to publish this. This is his definitive opinion, which he holds very strongly. Yesh isur gamur leilech begilui rosh. It seems to me that it is absolutely prohibited for men to walk with uncovered heads. This flies in the face of everything we've learned up till now. But here's the Taz in the 17th century saying, it seems to me that it's absolutely prohibited for men to walk with uncovered heads. Why? <laughs> Surely he didn't learn this from the Gemara. Surely he didn't learn this from the Torah. He didn't learn it from the Bach. He didn't learn it from the Rambam. Uh, what, what, what makes him say this? He explains. Kevan, because... Chok hu achshav bein ha'akum, because this is a a, a a law which is followed today by the non-Jews, the Gentiles among whom we live. He's writing this in Germany in the 17th century. The Gentiles among whom we live have a rule that they uncover their head. Osim came. That's what they do. The, the Gentiles among whom we live uncover their heads. When they go into their house of, uh, when they go into their church or whatever, they uncover their head as a sign of respect. Uh, when the, when the, the, the non-Jew stands before his uh, priest, uh, you, you uncover your head as a sign of respect. 
uh, when when you when you sing the national anthem, you tell you uncover your head as a sign of respect. Uh, uh, when you want to greet someone respectably, you, you take off your hat as a sign of respect. That's what they do. And since they do it, imke, therefore, ze nechlau bechlau, therefore, uncovering the head is subsumed. Uncovering the head falls into the category of bechuko tehem lo telechu. It says in the Torah that you, the Jewish people, are not allowed to follow their rules. The rules of the Canaanites, the rules of the Gentiles among whom you live. Now, now, now remember that, that the, the kind of rule we're talking about is what, uh, is, what is called hook. There are all kinds of rules and regulations. Uh, many rules and regulations are perfectly reasonable and perfectly rational, and anyone with a, with normal intelligence would, would would agree that has to be the rule. Uh, of course, you're, you're not allowed to steal, you're not allowed to murder. You know, a lot of rules are perfectly rational, perfectly reasonable, and any rational person would come to the same conclusion. On the other hand, there are many rules and regulations, whether in, in Torah or Lahavdil, among other peoples, there are many rules and regulations which uh, are completely arbitrary. There's no particular reason why it has to be that way. Uh, in some countries, you drive on the right side. In other countries, you drive on the left side. There's no logical reason. There's no, there's no, no inherent reason why it has to be that way. Just for certain historical, uh, certain historical influences led to some countries driving on the right and some countries driving on the left. That's a hoax. It's a rule a firmly established rule in society, but it's not a rule which flows out of any 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 reason. It doesn't have to be that way. It could be, could be just the reverse, and everyone will be happy, as long as everyone is doing the same thing. Look, I am old enough. I'm not that old, but I am old enough to remember the inaugural speech when when uh, the American President Kennedy was elected, when when the, when the Americans elected uh, Kennedy as their president, not so long ago, he of course gave a big speech. Every president gives a big speech uh, on the day that he is inaugurated, on the day that he becomes president. And I, I remember seeing that speech on the television, and and for the first time. Uh, it was surprising. No one had ever seen anything like this before. President Kennedy appeared in public making his speech with his head uncovered. He was not wearing his head. He was standing outside. The speech is always made outside of the Capitol. And he was standing outside in the steps of the Capitol making his big speech with his head uncovered. Uh, previously, no, 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 no dignified person would dream of appearing in public without a hat on. Uh, men, Jewish, non-Jewish, doesn't matter who, uh, you walk along the street, you have a hat on. Before you leave the house, you put on your hat. Uh, of, of course, of course, of course, everyone wore hats in public. Just look at photographs from previous times. Look at drawings. Uh, there's, no, there's no such thing as a dignified person walking without a hat in public. Well, there's no, there's, there's not, there's no logical reason for it. It's not, uh, human reason does not dictate that, that you have to wear hats in public. It's just a hook. It's just a rule of the society. And different societies can have different rules. And that was the rule of the society back in those, in those days. If it's their rule, then we are not supposed to follow it. And we're talking about the irrational rules, the rules which don't have any basis in reason. <laughs> I remember I remember what you point out in chat is, is, is really to the point. I remember, uh, uh, well, even our younger participants probably remember, might remember the marriage of Princess Di. There's a princess in, in England, uh, Princess Di. She died, but uh, first she got married. 
and her marriage was, uh, you know, the greatest social event in England in the century. It was the royal marriage of the century. It was really a big event. Uh, the marriage was actually on a Shabbos, but uh, I, I, I collected, I have somewhere an envelope full of photographs that I collected, I, I clipped out of different magazines. Back in those days, magazines were printed on paper. <laughs> magazines used to be printed on paper and uh, and I, 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 I clipped out uh, I, I cut out uh, photographs of the royal wedding from a fairly large number of, of magazines well, I have an envelope full of them uh, and I could not help but notice that uh, every single woman in the royal family and every single woman in the presence of the royal family was wearing a hat. And every single man in the royal family and every single man in the presence of the royal family was bareheaded. <laughs> now, uh, here, here we have a, apparently a very firm, fixed rule in the society that if you are a royal or in the presence of a royal, you either must or must not have your head covered, depending upon whether you're a woman or a man. Men and women cover their heads, women wear hats, men don't. Well, well, um, uh, the verse in the Torah, means we are not supposed to follow their rules. Unless, of course, we're talking about rules, which are perfectly rational, and any, any, any rational person would come to the same conclusion. But if it's merely nothing more, then the, the, the social uh, standards, uh, we should not imitate them. Kol uh, all the more so, all the more so in this particular case, the Kisui Rosh Mora Al Yirashamayim, the Gemara says there's a spiritual reason for us to cover the head, namely an awareness that we are walking in the divine presence. So, in general, we should not follow their senseless practices, but especially in this case, where there is a spiritual reason for the way we do it, namely, an awareness of the divine presence. As we learned in the passage that we began with on the first screen tonight, cover your head so you'll have an awareness of the divine presence and out of respect to God. In general, you're not allowed to follow their silly rules, but all the more so in this case, can you not follow their rule of uncovering the head? Because in this case, it's not only, their rule is not only a baseless, irrational rule. Our practice is rooted in a good spiritual reason, awareness of the divine presence, humility, in the presence of God and respect to God. Well, according to the Taz, a man who uncovers his head is guilty of a Torah violation. And there's the verse, that's the verse you're guilty of. That verse commands us, commands Jewish men to cover their heads. Well, <laughs> at this point, we have a Gemara, a Torah, a Rambam, a whole list of sources, no obligation whatsoever to cover their heads. And all of a sudden, in the 17th century, st stands up the Taz or the Tuz and says, not only is it obligatory for men to cover their not only is it, not only does Halacha demand it, it's not, it's not a simple Halacha, it's a Torah verse which demands it. And that's very weighty. Okay, we're going to pause at this time. Uh, I wish you a good week and eventually a Shabbat Shalom and look forward to seeing you again next week when we will continue this, this discussion and bring it closer to modern times. Until then, Shalom Shalom.